Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. Each week I turn to the words of Scripture for wisdom and guidance in faith. I hope that no matter what your background in faith, that you will find something meaningful here today. This week I'm continuing to talk about a reading I started last week, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5. Last week I focused on the first four Beatitudes, or blessings, and this week I conclude with the last four. Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Here ends the reading. Beatitude number five. Blessed are the merciful. Psalm 116 says that God is merciful and just. These two divine qualities, mercy and justice, are in real life often played off against one another as though they are mutually exclusive. Mercy has a soft and compliant quality to it. When we show someone mercy, we're extending to them something that they do not necessarily deserve. For example, a judge may show mercy to a convicted felon by imposing a lesser sentence than they could have. In personal life, if you are merciful, you may choose to let the offense of someone who has wronged you slide by without requiring any reparations or even even an apology. Justice, however, is about fairness. Now, fairness is a concept that children learn early in life. You gave Mary a bigger piece of cake than me. That's not fair. The teacher always calls on Bobby first. That's not fair. I remember as a child when my sister and I had to split a bottle of pop that we would place our glasses side by side and measure our servings out, pouring the liquid from glass to glass until we would each get exactly the same amount to the last sip. In the 16th century play by Shakespeare, The Merchant of Venice, a Jewish moneylender, Shylock, provides a large loan to Antonio, who is unable to pay off the debt. Now, Shylock demands a literal pound of flesh from Antonio, which he pledged as collateral. To defend Antonio's concern, Portia speaks out at the trial of her suitor. In the scene, she makes a play for mercy from Shylock. Portia says, The quality of mercy is not strained, It droppeth as a gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesses him that gives and him that takes. Tis mighty in the mightiest. It becomes the throne monarch better than his crown. His scepter shows the force of temporal power, the attribute to awe and majesty, wherein doth sit the dread and fear of kings. But mercy is above this sceptered sway. It is enthroned in the hearts of kings. 
it is an attribute to God himself. And earthly power doth show, then, likes God's when mercy seasons justice. Therefore, Shylock, though justice be thy plea, consider this, that in the course of justice none of us should see salvation. We do pray for mercy, and that same prayer doth teach us all to render the deeds of mercy. I have spoke thus much to mitigate the justice of thy plea, which if thou follow this strict court of Venice, must needs give sentence against this merchant here. The most telling line in Portia's speech has to do with the double blessing of mercy. It is twice blessed. It blesses him that gives and him that takes. It is obvious that someone who has been shown mercy is blessed. They've been giving something they haven't earned. The real insight here, however, is that the person who shows mercy is also blessed. Portia states, in full agreement with what Jesus says, is that our salvation lies within our ability to show mercy. An extreme example of this effort has to do with the effect of the death penalty on families of the condemned family and the family of the victim. A recent study showed, more often than not, families of murder victims do not experience the relief they expected to feel at the execution. Taking a life doesn't fill the void, but it's generally not until after the execution that families realize this. After the execution has taken place, there's no more room for healing, understanding, and even possible forgiveness and reconciliation. Families of victims may be re-victimized. Portia's words, Consider this, that in the course of justice, none of us should see salvation. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive the mercy of God. Beatitude number six, blessed are the pure in heart. If you've ever been in the market for fine gold jewelry, you're aware that the price of the items is largely determined by the purity of the gold, which is measured in carats. Ten carat gold, for example, contains ten parts of pure gold out of 24. Fourteen carat contains 14 parts per 24. All the way up to 24 carat gold, which is, for all practical purposes, pure. In similar-looking pieces of jewelry, therefore, you could easily be getting twice as much gold in one as another. Assaying or testing gold for purity involves burning away all of the impurities and then comparing the weight of the remaining gold to the original sample. Purity, then, is of utmost importance in jewelry as well as investment-grade coins or bullion. Well, purity of gold is one thing. Purity of the human heart is another. How do you assay the heart? What would it mean to have a 24-carat heart? Later on in the Sermon on the Mount, of which the Beatitudes are part, Jesus gives a hint. His standards of purity are severe and demanding. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In this case, 
of an act of sexual immorality, namely adultery, purity is not judged only by an outward act. Purity is an attitude or a predisposition that lies within, in this case, a sexual urge. In 1976, presidential candidate and evangelical Christian Jimmy Carter surprisingly agreed to an interview with Playboy magazine. In that interview, the squeaky clean Carter admitted to having committed adultery in his heart. He said, I've looked on a lot of women with lust. I've committed adultery in my heart many times. Carter felt that his mental adultery was a sin that needed to be confessed and repented of. Although his words were seen as a political disaster, Carter never apologized for his statement and survived the political hit and went on to win the election. Jesus' call to purity of heart did not apply only to matters of sexuality. He also says, You have heard that it was said in those ancient times you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable for judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you'll be liable for judgment. Jesus equates being angry with someone as equivalent to murdering them and subjects you to judgment. It's not that Jesus does not condemn outward immoral or harmful acts. He emphasizes the importance of the purity of our hearts. While we may dismiss what Jesus says as hyperbolic or exaggerated, there's a practical meaning to what he says. First of all, having impure or violent thoughts in our hearts may eventually escalate to the point that we act on them. We're playing with fire. But also, impurity of the heart inevitably separates us from God. Our inner impurities may burden us with guilt or keep us from being our best selves. When we are pure of heart, we are blessed by being able to see and know God. The prophet Malachi talks about how we can achieve purity of heart. According to Malachi, God says, I'm sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, indeed, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. In other words, our faith in Christ and becoming a follower in Christ is like a refiner's fire. Through our faith and worship, our hearts are changed. We are purified from the inside out. When we are in Christ, we are blessed to see God because of the purity of heart. Beatitude number seven, blessed are the peacemakers. In Jesus' world, the Roman Empire ruled supreme. The Romans saw themselves as a civilizing force in a brutal world full of barbarians, and in a sense they were. They established what they called the Pax Romana, or Roman peace, in the nations they concert, conquered. 
As anyone who has read the Gospels knows, however, the Roman rule was harsh and brutal. Peace was imposed by authoritarian rule, which is not real peace at all. As the prophet Jeremiah said, You cry peace, peace, when there is no peace. The peace of Christ is different. It's total. Christ does not impose his will on anyone. The peace of Christ is attained through love and compassion, not through shows of power and military light, might. Today, when we think of peacemakers, we generally think of diplomatic persons who negotiate ceasefires and treaties between countries at war or on the verge of war. These are not the kind of peacemakers that Jesus is talking about. We all can be peacemakers by living lives that are concerned not with exercising power, but by living a life that exhibits God's merciful reign. We can live in peace with our families, with our neighbors and our colleagues at work. And hopefully our peaceful hearts will spill over into the world. When we are peacemakers, we are blessed with a sense of peace in our lives and wellness, even when the world is at war. Beatitude number eight, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. The final beatitude on this list is probably the most difficult of all. It's hard to imagine how we can feel blessed when people are persecuting us, especially to the degree that Jesus says. He says that we are blessed when people slander us and put us down and do all sorts of evil things to us. Those are things that we seek to avoid in life. We even have a word for people who enjoy being persecuted. We call them masochists. And that's a disorder. Jesus was describing his own life, though. As soon as he started proclaiming his radical message of God's love in the kingdom of God, people had it in for him. He was nearly stoned to death in his hometown. Eventually, he was hunted down, tortured, and executed. He suffered just as anyone who is persecuted suffers. He was slandered and made fun of. The life of a disciple of, of Jesus runs counter to the values of the world. Perhaps we don't experience persecution in our modern American context in the way that early Jesus followers did. No one is looking to kill us simply because we confess Christ. But do not be deceived. When we live a life for justice for the oppressed and marginalized, when we extend mercy to the outcast, when we live the values outlined in the Beatitudes, the rulers of this world, the powers of this world, will resist us. Our persecution can be a sign that we are living God's truth, the truth that the world does not want to hear, just as the prophets did. I think in this final beatitude, Jesus is trying to build our courage. Yes, following him will not be easy. We may face many hardships, but God promises to bless us and bring us to eternal life through it all. In his painful suffering and death on the cross, Jesus was glorified and inherited eternal life, a life that he shares with us. You and I don't seek martyrdom. We're not going to be burned at the stake or strung up on a cross for our beliefs. But God will bring us through the trials and tribulations of life and our persecutions. 
As Paul says in Romans 8, if we have been united with Christ in a death like his, we will certainly be reunited with him in a resurrection like his. Jesus started his teaching with this list of Beatitudes. He provides us with quite a list. Bottom line, one way or another, you are blessed. Now we just need to go and live out these blessings with hope and thanksgiving. Amen. Thank you for being with me today. May God continue to bless you and keep you. May God's face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May God look upon you with favor and give you peace. Mm -hmm.